very, very good morning, and uh, welcome to, to Lionsdown, particularly uh, if you are visiting with us this morning or if this is your first time. It's uh, really wonderful to have you with us today. Let's pray before we uh, look at this passage together. Father, we thank you so much for your words. Thank you for all uh, the, the, the way in which you reveal yourself to us through your mighty acts and your saving purposes and plans. Father, please speak to us this morning and again reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Who has the power? In Somalia, uh, Nala heard about Jesus online and she wanted to hear more. And so the people she heard uh, who were, heard the gospel from, who were Somali Christians living in another country, she got in touch with them, and she managed to hear more and more about Jesus, and she became a Christian. Not long later, um, she started to meet with some secret believers and was eventually baptized. But then her family became in, increasingly suspicious, and they tricked Nala to, in coming to come home by telling her that her mother was dying. When she got home, the, the men of her family were waiting. They beat her, they took her phone, and they locked her in a room. They tried various rituals to fix what was wrong with her. Sometimes they put a light bulb against her head and repeated words from the Quran. They even tried some concoctions on her. And then her family pledged her in marriage to a sheikh who already had two wives. Who has the power? Ali grew up in a Muslim family in Afghanistan, uh, he, but he was in the grips of a drug addiction when he and his wife, Zara, became Christians. And then the persecution began. The family rejected them. Their lives were seen as defiled and filthy. Ali and Zara lost their friends. They were disowned by their families. And when the news of their faith became more widely known, Ali lost his job. Later, after he joined the ministry team of a network of underground churches, they were then arrested and imprisoned in separate cells and endured days of interrogation. Who has the power? In your workplace, in our nation, in the communities in which we live, the suffering and persecution of Christians is nowhere near on that scale. And yet you may get called before HR to answer, before, answer about something that you've said. Maybe a Christian teacher at your school tries to cancel uh, an event in which you're trying to reach out to your, your classmates. Who has the power? Well, that, answer, that question is answered most conclusively in our passage today. We've arrived at the ten plagues. Uh, really, as you saw from our reading, there's an initial sign which happens before. You can see you've got an initial sign and then ten plagues. Through this, uh, these chapters, I'm afraid we didn't only have time just to read the first portion of it, but through these chapters, God again and again says, let my people go. And again and again, Pharaoh says, no. And so God sends these ten plagues to show Pharaoh who is boss and that he really should let people go. The ten plagues, we call them plagues, they're known as plagues, but 
really most of them aren't actually about an outbreak of illness. But they range from being uncomfortable and disruptive, so the Nile becomes blood, and there's an abundance of frogs. Then you have commercially damaging and, and personally debilitating. So you have a plague on the livestock and boils. You've got the environmentally disastrous uh, in, in giant hailstorms and then plagues of locusts. You have terrifying darkness. And then you have the heartbreaking sadness of the death of a firstborn. Ten plagues. Uh, the, the tenth it really is set apart as, um, but by itself as its own unit. That's the one that leads to God's people finally being set free. But the first nine really hold together. And, and originally in this series, I was planning on looking at these nine over two. and I was going to kind of break about halfway, do some, and then look at the others. But the more I looked at it this week, the more actually they, they hold together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first nine plagues today, and then we're going to look at the first nine plagues again next week. Okay, so it's kind of this is part one, and part two will follow. And that's going to give us time to explore the, the huge themes that these plagues raise. But the obvious question as we begin is, well, why ten plagues? Why ten of them? Was it that God was just a bit misguided, and he thought, hey, the blood's going to work. Oh, no, it hasn't. Let's try some frogs. Oh, no, that's not worked. Let's try some gnats and so on and so on. God fails nine times and strikes it lucky on number ten. If you've been here for any of your series, this series, and all that we've seen of the Lord already, we know that can't be true. And in fact, that point is made clear. Just uh, glance down to chapter 9, verse 15. I'm afraid we're going to do some finger flicking today um, through these things. But chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord here speaking to Pharaoh 9.15, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. God could have put out his hand and squashed Pharaoh like a fly, and the people would be gone. But he doesn't. There's got to be more going on here. And we can be sure there's more going on here when we look at the overall structure of these plagues. Now, I know you're going to need your magnifying glasses, but um, on the back of this, you've probably seen um, a table that I've tried, I think helpfully captures some of the big picture. Um, I'm going to put some of it up on the screen. You might find it easier there. But simply on your, on your handout or on the screen there, just look at the first two columns, as in the one after the plague. But you'll see there's, there's a tightly defined structure. So firstly, we have this repetition of how it starts off. So the first one is, go to Pharaoh in the morning. The second one is, just go into Pharaoh. And the third one, well, there's no introduction. And that pattern is repeated three times, divided into three. If you look at the next column, you'll see the initiator of the plagues. The first three initiated by Aaron, the second three by the Lord, and the third by Moses. Now, this simply just goes to show how these events and how things have been recorded are carefully orchestrated. All that is happening here is part of God's plan. But again, why ten plagues? And particularly, why the nine that we're looking at today and next week? Because God knew that it was going to take the tenth. 
God knew that it was going to take the tenth plague to get the people free. Come back to chapter 4. And verse 22. It says, God speaking to Moses, preparing him for what is to come. Chapter 4, verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. That's what it's going to take. So why do we go through these first nine? Why doesn't God cut to the chase? Well, before we just look at that, one more, um, one more little thing to look at. Chapter 5, same page. This is when God goes into Moses... Uh, no, get those people the right way around. Moses goes into Pharaoh for the first time and says, let my people go. And have a look at Pharaoh's response in chapter 5, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let the people go. You can feel the disdain there, can't you? Who is the Lord? Who is this pint-sized God of this puny nation? Who is he? Why should I listen to him? Well, Pharaoh, the plagues are your answer. Who is the Lord's? Here's your answer. And how do we know that? Well, because the Bible tells us. Because Moses records it for us. Column number three, if you can see the purpose column or you it up there, again a little bit small let me direct you to, a, to 1 chapter 7 verse 17 chapter 7 verse 17 says, thus says the Lord by this you shall know that I am the Lord by this you shall know that I am the Lord and seven times through these verses and you can see them all listed on the columns there Seven times we are told that these events are happening in order that Pharaoh, the Egyptians, the Israelites, and us today would know that God is the Lord. That God is the Lord. That's why these plagues, that's why ten plagues, that we would know that God is the Lord. And again, We've looked at this a number of times over the last weeks. What does it mean that he's the Lord? He is Yahweh. He is that all-sufficient, all-surpassing, independent God of the universe, and yet who is covenantly committed to his people. And today, that picture again of the Lord is built up for us. Is it that the plagues reveal about the Lord? Well, first off, he is the Lord of power. Unavoidably, unmistakably, the plagues show us the Lord's power. His power over creation. And again, in fact, we are explicitly told that this was the purpose. Come over a page to chapter 9, verse 16. We'll look at, at this element of the, and this theme more next week. But again, the Lord talking to Pharaoh, just see verse 16. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 
Why is Pharaoh there? Why is he stubborn? Why does he not let the people go these ten times? Ultimately, to show the Lord's power. That's the main reason why there are ten and not one. Just a couple of them. Again, we haven't got time to go through them all. I'd really encourage you this week to read through uh, these nine and the sign that comes before it. But just take the first plague, the, the water of the Nile. The, pool, the, um, the pools and all of the water, the, the water from the jugs and the jars, it all turns to blood. And we can say that, and you're like, oh, just think about that for a second. The Thames, Jack's Lake, any other local water? I don't know. All the local water? There you go. So free and part with it. Green Park, thank you, yeah. Um, all the puddles from yesterday's rain. Turn on the tap. Blood. It's a horrifying thought, isn't it? But it is a picture of the power of God. And across a whole nation, water turned to blood. Or take plague number four, flies. So many flies. Think about how horrible it is when you you've left an apple core somewhere and it's hidden and then outburst all of the the fruit flies. Or when the the flies get into your food bin and lay all their eggs or larvae or whatever they lay. Both those have happened to me. (laughs) Think how horrific, horrible those things are. And then it swarms and swarms and swarms of flies throughout the land. Everywhere you turn, in your house. And then... And I think this is particularly point, but just as amazingly, they're gone. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 31. So having, having all appeared and swarmed everywhere, but then chapter 8, verse 31, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. They came and they went. The Lord's power. Well, how about hail, um, hail number seven? How about uh, plague number seven, hail? And is it not just any old hail? Have a look down at chapter 9, verse 24. See the description? There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. I quite like thunderstorms. Uh, the, the most impressive one I've been was actually in, in Hungary, in Patesville, the church we prayed for. We went over and, and held to the youth camp there. Uh, and I remember being woken up in the middle of the night by this enormous thunderstorm and going to the window and then going out onto a balcony. And it's just awe-inspiring. The rain pouring down, the lightning flashing. And that was just rain, that wasn't even hail. You feel the immense power of everything. And then... Can you imagine being one of the Egyptians or God's people back then who who might have watched on and and saw these enormous hailstones brought about by the Lord? An immense power. These plagues, these these nine plagues in the tenth, the nine plagues showing God's enormous power. Secondly, it shows us that he is the unrivaled Lord. He is the Lord of power, and as such, there is no other. He is unrivaled. And again, that's pretty self-evident when we just look at the plagues and we see the things that happen. 
But actually, it's also emphasized in two big ways through these plagues. Firstly, through the, the Pharaoh's magicians. And they almost serve as a bit of a kind of light comic relief as we go through. They crop up five times. Again, you can see that here, column four or just up there. Um, the, the magicians themselves, that is, crop up um, the, the five times. Um, they also crop up in the, the sign at the beginning. Uh, let's look at that, that first one. So come back to chapter seven. So uh, Aaron has just performed the first sign that he did. So he's thrown down um, the staff and it is turned to a serpent. But have a look at chapter 7, verse 11. Then Pharaoh summons the wise men and sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. They, they too were able to turn staffs into serpents. Oh, so maybe the Lord is impressive, right? But not particularly impressive when they can do the same. But again, just look at verse 12. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, gobbled them up. So not quite the same. Then the first two plagues. They, the, the magicians appear um, after both of the first two plagues and they are able, again, to replicate what God has done. They too can turn water to blood. They too can make more frogs. But do you not get the impression, and this would be clear again if you read it out, do you not get the impression that Moses might just be poking a bit of fun at them? Ooh, you can make more blood. Ooh, you can make more frogs. Fantastic. They can only make the situation worse. They can't remedy it. And then the first two, okay, they could replicate, but they couldn't remedy. But then plague, by plague three, plague of gnats, well, have a look at chapter 8, verse 18. The, magi the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. Uh, but they could not. They couldn't do it. So first two, okay, they can replicate but not remedy. The third one, they can't replicate or remedy. In plagues four and five, they're not mentioned, but by the end of plague six, they can't even stand. Have a look at chapter nine, verse 11. So after the plague of boils, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. We're meant to see that progression. Okay, they can replicate, but not remedy. Okay, they can't replicate or remedy, and by then, by then they couldn't even stand up. No, the Lord is unrivaled in his power. We see that in that progression. But we also see it um, in the fact that these, these plagues are a direct attack on the so-called gods of Egypt. Just think again back to that, that pre-plague sign. There's Pharaoh with a crown on his head, that crown which has a, a snake on it. And here he sees the Lord's snake gobbling up all the others. Where, the, where is that power really? And then the first nine plagues were designed to show God's complete power over what 
the Egyptians thought to be the power of their gods. The Egyptians had myriad of, of gods, each thought to have power and control over different aspects of life. Perhaps most famously, ones you might have heard of, you, you had the, the, the god of the Nile, Happy. I think you said that's how you say it, Happy, Happy, not sure. Um, you had Ra, the, the sun god. And yet, how conclusively both of those are, are beaten as the Nile turns to blood and as the sun is darkened. They also had their gods of fertility, of uh, protection, of peace, of storms. All the things that they thought, felt that they had gods had control over, the Lord shows utterly conclusively, no, they don't. No, they don't. The Lord is the unrivaled Lord, the only God of power. Eleven signs to humiliate the Egyptians and prove God's power over them and their so-called gods. As the Lord of power, he is the only sovereign, uh, he is the, the only Lord of power, and he is the sovereign Lord. Now, very much building on what we've already seen, we, these are developing aspects of the same thing here. We've seen his sovereignty, his control over all these different aspects of creation, over Egypt, over the Egyptians, over Pharaoh, over their gods. But just to add in one further way, in which we see God's sovereignty there over these things. I want you to see how each plague begins. Look down, look down at any of them. How do they begin? And the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, and then the Lord said to Moses, each of these plagues was initiated and brought about by the Lord's will. He commanded Moses, and off they went, and they happened. He initiates everything. He is the sovereign ruler over heaven and earth. He speaks and he acts and he brings about his purposes. He is the sovereign <coughs> Lord. And this is really what we're going to focus on next week. But he is even sovereign over Pharaoh's responses. The fact that every time God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says no. No. But the Lord isn't surprised by what happens there. He isn't surprised by Pharaoh's stubbornness and rejection. Over half of the plagues finish in the same way. Just look at a couple of them. Chapter 7, actually, uh, do I have another slide? No, I don't have another slide. Um, chapter 7, verse 13. This is again, this is the sign, but chapter 7, verse 13. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. But get this as the Lord had said. Chapter 7, verse 22, the second half, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Chapter 8, verse 15, just for one final example, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Over half of them ends in this same Way Again and again we see the Lord's sovereignty over everything that is happening here. And then finally, he's the Lord who is for his people. He's the only sovereign, powerful Lord. That's demonstrated again and again and again. But I think some of us, not some of us, some part of us still might slightly think 
poor Pharaoh, poor Egyptians. It'd be horrendous to have all these things. And it would have been, wouldn't it? Undoubtedly unpleasant. But we've got to remember where these things fall in this story. Pharaoh, who thought absolutely nothing of enslaving a nation, of ordering the death of all newborn boys, of, at a whim, making their, their slavery even harder. Pharaoh, who was committed to, to keeping the people, who wanted nothing to do with the Lord's. And what the Lord is doing here in these plagues is this is part of his great rescue plan. He is delivering his people through this, from that wicked tyrant, from that cruel oppression. The Lord is using his power and he's using it to rescue his people. Again, we can see um, uh, see it just uh, slightly here in, in that next column, in the dis- distinction column. Where actually, as, as the plagues move into the second half, there is a distinction made between Egypt and God's people. So not all of the plagues actually affected God's people. They were, excuse me, they were set apart. They were distinct from these things. So again, just to look at uh, the couple, have a look at chapter eight. Verse 22, the plague of gnats, uh, no, sorry, the plague of flies that I mentioned, 8.22, but on that day I will set apart the land, the land of Goshen, which is where God's people were living, where my, oh, sorry, where it says, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies may, uh, shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. And tomorrow this sign shall happen. Actually, there's this distinction made between God's people and the Egyptians. He's protecting his people. And as I said earlier, all these things, all these plagues, are so that God would ultimately deliver his people. That he would rescue them. The Lord uses his power and his might and his sovereignty to deliver his people. Nine plagues. What, ten, ten signs. What, one sign and then nine plagues that God is using so that Pharaoh, the Egyptians, the Israelites, and us today would know that he is the Lord. And he is the Lord of power, the, Lord, the sovereign Lord over every aspect of life. He, he is the unequaled Lord. There is no, simply no one or nothing like him. And he's using this power to rescue and redeem his people from slavery in Egypt. Do you know this God? Do you know this God? Every week at church, we have people who aren't yet Christians, and we love having you if that's you today. If you're coming along and, and your mind is blown by what you've seen today, well, what is this about God doing these, these things and all that? It is wonderful that you're here with us. Do you know the Lord? These things happen so that you would, that you would know that there is no one like him. To know that he is the one true God who who is engaged and actively involved in this world, who is working for the good of his people. This week, I'd really encourage you to to read through it from chapter 7 to the end of chapter 10. Read through each of these plagues and see 
who the Lord is. And indeed, better yet, once you've done that, I really encourage you to turn to one of the Gospels in the New Testament to see how God has made himself known in the Lord Jesus. Read through that, a paragraph, a chunk at a day, and see him, see the Lord as he reveals himself. He's the same God both back then and indeed in the New Testament. We see the Lord's power work through Jesus and his miracles and his might, and ultimately in his death. The most powerful thing that he's done in saving his people from slavery to sin. For those of us who are already Christians, again, these things are happening so that we too would know that he is the Lord, that he is the God of power and sovereignty, the unrivaled and unmatched God. Again, if you'd asked one of the Israelites back then, you'd say, well, look, who has the power? They'd have only had one answer. Pharaoh. Who had utter control over their lives. He'd done all those things like I said. He enslaved them and made their slavery bitter just on a whim. Ask Nala and Ali. Who has the power? Would it, would it feel like you had the power? Family. Government. Powers. Police. Ask us today, who, who holds the power? Sometimes, maybe oftentimes, it feels like perhaps it's, it's the government or the unreasonable boss or the school bully who has the power. These plagues happen so that we would know that God has the power. He does. We don't. Again, ask um, Nala and Ali, you know, what, what can they do about their situations? Well, actually, very little. Ourselves, so often it feels like, well, what can I do in this situation? So often, so little. But we need to think about our lack of power in a different perspective. The question isn't so much, well, what can I do in this situation? But what can the Lord do in this situation? And so this week, as you you head into it, I I don't know what you think are the big problems and obstacles and, and worries that you're facing. Think about those things now. And then think about who the Lord is. And when we do that, we see actually how those things get put into perspective, into their place. Now, not always is God going to do what we want him to do. Not always is he going to remove those barriers and obstacles and help us to fly through things. For the Israelites, they were enslaved for hundreds of years. But know that in his timing and the right timing, God will certainly and surely use his power for the good of his people. Or maybe this week you're, you're thinking about that person who you've been praying for that you would love and long to see become a Christian. And it seems like they're just they're too hard-hearted. There are too many things standing in their way. Again, remember this, this picture of the Lord, the sovereign Lord, who uses that power in his rescue plan. He's used it in your life. You can use it in their life too. What renewed call that is for us to pray and look to him to continue to work in his might and his sovereignty. Let's pray to this great God now. Our sovereign and powerful Lord, we praise you that there is no one like the Lord 
our God. We praise you that you are in the midst of this earth, active and working and in control. We praise you for all of your great rescue work for the the Israelites back then and for Christians today through the Lord Jesus. We praise you for that power because we could not rescue ourselves. And we praise you for your power and pray that would give us confidence as we head into this week. Confidence in those that we're seeking to reach knowing that you use that your sovereign good power in your great rescue plan. We praise you, our Lord. Amen.